I guess I need to go ahead and win tomorrow. <laughs> I'm giving my notice now, Harry. <laughs> Although that's what they tell you not to do. When they, they tell you if you win a big lottery like that, don't quit your job. Don't let on that you won. Assemble your team and, and have them accept it on behalf of your trust. <laughs> All right. I, I got the instructions. But I think most people just can't, can't, uh, can't stand people not knowing that they want all that money me i could stand it because i i could really win and nobody would know that i won until they see me like living in a big mansion in kigali be like the hell you know or every week every month they see me jet set to a new place they'd be like tim the hell is babs doing and then they put two and two together and they're like oh she won the lottery Oh, now, don't get me wrong. I have not won. <laughs> I'm just saying, I should win on Wednesday. <laughs> I'm winning on Wednesday, Harry. Good morning. <laughs> I'm drinking a little water because I drank too much wine last night. So um, my second hour, my guest is, uh, uh, who was my sec my guest? So I have um, Ed Tankis is coming on because he's repping uh, Sticks, Bones, and the Bone Squad. They're performing on the Branford Green for the Branford Jazz Festival, August 3rd, which I might, if, if, I, if I don't have any competing activities, I might show up for, which is a Thursday. So I might, we'll see. Uh, it looks like it might be a good day to sort of do that. Anyway, um, so they're going to be my guests the second hour. I don't know his music, um, so I'm looking forward to talking to him. Young, young guy, played with a lot of people, and I'm interested in uh, what his musical influences are, and uh, and what and what does he add to the world of jazz? You know, what does his music add to the world? So I'm looking forward to that conversation. So anyway, it's uh, Tuesday. And uh, it's another, this has been the craziest summer. It's, you know, it's hot. There's a lot of mosquitoes because we've had so much rain. And uh, so they're just warning people about that. Um, just be mindful if you're out there, spray up. Um, yeah, that's about it. 
spray up, spray up, spray up. And uh, yeah, I was trying to do the things that I do. It's Tuesday and, uh, you know, overcast, more smoke in the forecast. I, I'm telling you, this is just crazy. You know, it's just, it's just crazy. So I don't, I don't know what to make of it. I've never seen anything quite like it. Uh, so it's Sticks Bones. His name is Sticks Bones and the Bone Squad. <laughs> you know. Uh, Sticks Bones, which is a cool name. I, yeah. So I feel like I need a little time off. Do you ever, you know, a summer brings on that I need a vacation vibe. You know what I mean? And it's not like I'm a coal miner. I'm not a coal miner. You know, I, I'm not a timber. I'm not a lumberjack. I don't, you know, I'm not an auto mechanic. I don't have a dirty job. I'm not lifting stuff. I'm not, you know, I'm not a UPS driver. You know, I'm not a dentist. You know, I'm not standing on my feet all day. I'm not punching a time clock. But every one of us uh, likes a vacation. I like a vacation. So I, I, I understand that. A little vacation time. A little vacation time. That's all. You know, just a do-nothing time. You know, I try to build that in every day, some vacation time. <laughs> I'm doing, like, sitting on the porch is vacation time. You know, I started, I started, um, De deconstructing my bedroom because it's a mess and I have a lot of clothes all over this house. So I'm just going piece by piece. I, I straightened up my bathroom. You know, I'm going to start painting in there in a, in a couple of weeks. Um, I'm trying to need up my bedroom because I'm going to turn my bed. So when my son comes over next, uh, I'm going to turn my bed uh, and put the, I've been seeing a lot of this. I have two windows in my bedroom. And I have a king size bed. And so my room, it's not a big room. Like in my house house, when I lived on Bellevue, I had a big bedroom. You know, I had a king size bed. I had a giant ass armoire. I had a, a, a chair and an and a ottoman, a sitting space with, a, with an end table. I had two closets. One was a walk-in closet, you know, deep walk-in closet. So I had a lot of space in that room, a lot. And then, um, so when I moved into this space, there's two bedrooms, but they're, they're both small bedrooms. And I actually put my bed in the bedroom off this dining room or whatever this is, second room. But it was, it just felt like it was so big in there. So I, I moved it back to the other room, which I think is slightly bigger. And, uh, and so my bed is up against a wall with only one nightstand. I like to flank my bed with two nightstands, but I have to push the bed up against the window and lose uh, a window. So I'm cool with that because I, I I'd really like to be able to get around my bed better to make the bed. I have a king size bed. So it's a, it's a pain in the ass making the bed, you know, cause I, uh, if I move the bed from the wall, uh, then I have to push it back once I make the bed. And you know, king size bed is a big bed. And I, I toyed with the idea of going down to a queen size bed because I could easily, 
And I still might later. But right now, I have to deal with this king size bed. I might, I might go down to a queen. I might. I might. But I have all these king size sheets now. Ugh. So many first world problems. So we'll see. We shall see. But anyway, I'm going to turn the bed. You know, and I had trepidations about turning the bed because the heating vent is on that side. And if I turn the bed, the heating vent will be under the bed. But then I could get the extender for the heating vent to go out. So I, I might do that. You know, so many, so many variables. <laughs> so so many first world problems. <laughs> so many first world problems. So so that's what I'm thinking about. Uh, and then I need to paint that room because I'm this whole house needs to be painted. And I keep going back and forth on this. Oh, should I paint? Should I not paint? Because it's messy in here and I can't see my way through. But that was like, but if I leave these walls with this prison beige, I'll just be annoyed, you know? So, uh, and this dark wood is just so dark. Oh, so I'm going to paint it. Just, just paint it. <laughs> I just, I just get over it. Just just paint it. So I think August, when I come back from the vineyard, it's going to be all, all painting, 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 just going to paint because it's just, uh, it's just a pain. So anyway, that's, that's my, that's, that's what I'm thinking about this morning. What are you thinking about? <laughs> that's <laughs> first world problems. First world problems. That's what I'm. Uh, that's what I'm thinking about. You know, uh, I don't know what is this. Anyway, I don't even know. Uh, I don't even know what this is. So anyway. That's my first world problem. So anyway, in the world of politics, so I guess Ron DeSantis, governor, and, and by governor, I, I mean asshole. I, I don't understand. I don't know how you run for president of these United States when the state that you're from is in shambles. I, how do you sell that? How do you, do you say to America, I want America to look like Florida? Is that is that the is that the is that the is that the selling point? So I guess people quit, fired people. I don't I don't know what he's he's an unlikable jerk. And I don't you know I think I think his ego is so great that he just believes he could just that he, that somebody somewhere will like him what he's selling. And I, I think you have to have a lot of delusion about yourself. And I think he's that guy. He's delusional to be thinking, oh, I'm going to run around the country and sell my brand of foolishness to the American public and hope that they like it. And I'm thinking, and he's like, well, all these people don't go to Florida, so they don't know. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, you you passed these laws that hemmed up your farmers 
and Florida is farm is a farm state. They're growing stuff for the country. They don't got nobody to pick this stuff. The agricultural business is hurting. Their service industry is hurting. And here's the other part of this foolishness, that people believe that undocumented people don't pay taxes. And 70%, more than 70% of them are paying taxes. Hella taxes, you know. And uh, so they're just going to go to a state where uh, these restrictions don't apply because they can't work and be afraid at the same time. I, I just don't understand this guy. Why, why would America want that for itself? Who, who does he think is going to vote for him beside the crazy people in Florida? Beside the crazy people in Florida. And I wish somebody would run against him in Florida so he could just go away. Because he can't he can go away. You know. And, the, and Florida is a mess. It is an absolute mess. A mess. And I'm thinking to myself, why would we want that for the rest of this country? Why? I, until somebody can answer that for me, I, I don't understand it. Like, listen, Ron DeSantis, and what they, I think they call him Ron the, the, the Satanist. <laughs> and you know, here's the crazy part. When they start saying your wife is the better candidate and she is no prize, that's a that's a pretty good indication that you 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 might as well just give up this presidential run. You might as well give it up. And now he's just saying stuff, right? I was like, I, as I said a while ago, Donald Trump has no floor. Has no floor. No floor. And you, you can't run against somebody who doesn't have a floor if you have a modicum of conscience about what it is you believe in. I mean, you just, it's just a losing, it's a, it's a losing game, you know? And, and unless you are willing to just go low, 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 you can't win. I mean, you, you really just cannot win. He is the master at bully, bullying and insult. And uh, he's just good at that. And if you're not willing to play that game, you can't win. You just can't win, you know? And uh, and DeSantis is figure, trying to figure that out. I was like, you gotta go take care of Florida, dude. I mean, I I, I don't know what else to tell you. You know, you just look, you looking like Putin out here, man. I mean, you you really are looking like Putin out here. You know, trying to find an exit ramp um, that you don't pass eight thousand of them to get off this roller coaster, and your ego's not going to let you back down because you just feel compelled. Do you know what I mean? Like these people who just is this male, you know, people who feel compelled to just keep this fight going like this. I'm thinking to myself the hell you know i don't know i just feel i just feel like you can't win this 
and and somebody around you ought to tell you, eh, you know, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Nothing. Not gonna do anything. So just let it go. Didn't I already pay this? I pay. Oh, this is already handled. I got new taxes to pay. I gotta find that slip of paper. <sighs> so many things. <laughs> I think this is old mail. I think this is very old mail. Oh yeah, this is old mail. I don't even know where this is from. Oh, I'm not opening that. That's old. I'm just looking at old mail from whenever this is. You know how you get old mail? You don't open it and then you find it and you're like, oh my God, this is a lot of mail. Like, why do I have so much mail? It's old. So anyway, uh, that's the way of the world. So that's my DeSantis rant for those of you who care. I just, I just find him ridiculous and I wish he would just sit down. And I, you know, listen, Chris Christie has beaten him in the polls. <laughs> Chris Christie, the former governor of New Jersey, he's beaten him in the polls. Chris Christie. Who who has no floor either, you know? Well, he, I think he does have a floor on, on some levels, but nobody's feeling Chris Christie either. But but he but he 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 is a wrench in that whole thing. He can't beat Donald Trump, you know, because you know Donald Trump will just call him a fat ass, and then that'll be it. Now Donald Trump is a fat ass too, but. He'll 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 play that card before he'll play that card and Christie won't know what to do. And uh because that's how Donald Trump is, he'll insult you. And if you don't insult, and then it becomes uh you you gotta either insult back or try to rise above it. And Chris Christie, I, I don't think he could joust like that. He's mean, he's a mean guy. Well, I don't think he could. I, I think he could throw back some smart barbs. You know what I mean? Like, I think he could throw some smart ones in, but I don't think he could win the overall insult match. Do you know what I mean? So that'd be interesting. But Ron DeSantis, you need to go and deal with Florida or whatever. And I, and I hope somebody's sitting around the table in Florida, like, we need a new governor. I hope there's some people sitting around the table saying Florida needs a new governor because we in bad shape right now because we got a governor who is stupid running around talking about woke and all this and mis misappropriating the word. You know, we got our our governor is making us look stupid. So we got to we got to we got to fix this. And, and Florida, I, I hope people in Florida are listening. You You do need to fix this. Y'all need a new governor for real, for real. Uh, Cause this one right here ain't doing you no favors. And you know, when you start going to the store and paying ridiculous amounts for food that you could just go pick right out the fields, you have a problem on your hands, my friends. You know, I mean, you got a, you got a, you got a damn governor who beefing with Mickey Mouse. <laughs> Yeah. Listen, you got a governor who's beefing with Mickey Mouse and crew. 
you got some real problems. You know, that's a money-making in- engine. It's its own engine. Disneyland or Disney World is its own engine. I, I don't know what you think you're doing beefing with them. Worrying about how they label in bathrooms and all this other kind of stuff. And then you beefing with schools, institutions of higher learning about critical race theory, which makes no sense. And 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 <laughs> and not offering AP courses in African-American studies. You who took your dumb ass to Yale and they let you in. Everybody's looking at you, Yale, side-eyeing you. You let you let the, the dumb and dumbers in. I'm like, what is happening? You let that guy in. And he ain't doing, you know, he's not, he not a good alumni. <laughs> if he comes to the reunion, everybody going to shun him or they're going to talk about him behind his back because he's an idiot. Y'all know it. Y'all educated a fool. Did he even get an education? Show me those grades. I want to see those Yale grades. Somebody asked to see them Yale grades. Are they posted somewhere? I want to see those grades. Show me. He did some papers. I want to see them papers. I want to see those papers that he did. Is that, can you get people's papers like that? I don't know. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Anyway, that's the way of the world. So that's my that's my political rant this morning, because I just find all that stuff so egregious, you know. And uh, it's just it's just annoying to me. And uh, and there's so much else going on in the world that we should be concerning ourselves with, you know. And 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 maybe I maybe yeah. So let me let me shift gears a little bit since it's it's only Tuesday. <laughs> I don't know, Harry. If I went Powerball tomorrow, I don't know if I'll be on air. <laughs> I mean Thursday. If I went if I went tomorrow, I don't know if I'll be on air Thursday. <laughs> but all the all the experts say if you win, go to work the next day. Don't quit your job. Stay on your job for a period of time. I was like, that'd be hard knowing I got a cool billion dollars sitting somewhere. I'm like, what? <laughs> you want me to go back where? And I, I love my jobs. So it's not even like, it's not even like I don't like being, I'm at my house. So, I mean, I love my jobs. I'm just saying, it'd be hard. I'd be hard pressed to sit still with a billion dollars somewhere. I'm just saying. Don't be mad at me. I'm just saying. A billion dollars? You know what I see? This is how this is how I am. I want to win Mega Millions, Powerball, and Connecticut Lottery. That's got to be a. That's got to go down in the Ripley's Believe It or Not. <laughs> that get a that get a Ripley's Believe It or Not certificate for the only person to win all the things. I I want that'd be worth having. You know. I know it would be like a target on my back for the rest of my life. I'd have to be incognito, which which for a Black woman won't be hard. I just slap a wig on my head when I go out. Nobody will even know it's me. They'll know. Nobody will know. 
they'll know. No, nobody will ever know. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Uh, you know, I, I'll just, just put a wig on. Nobody, nobody will know. They don't, they can't hardly know black people no way. So, you know what I'm saying? No one would know. They wouldn't know. They'll know. No, they won't know. No, they'll know. Nope, they won't know. They won't know. I'm telling you, they won't know. <laughs> oh, they won't know. They'll know. Nope, they won't know. So I'm just saying. Uh, I'm just saying. That's, that's how I would play that. I would just be in the world with a wig on. Nobody will know. You know, change my glasses. Are you kidding me? They won't know. I'll be like a regular person all the time. It'd be like, you know, nobody will know. Except people who know me know me. That's it. Anyway, that's the way of the world. So let me let me go check out some news news. Let me see what's going on. Let me check out the front page of the uh the independent. Oh, okay. I'm telling you, New Haven, y'all better get it right. Adam uh, Adam um, Carmon is suing the city of New Haven and six former New Haven police officers for the wrongful conviction that imprisoned him for nearly three decades. I swear to God, I don't know how you go to prison for 30 years for a crime you did not commit. And he he's out and he looks really good. I don't I don't know how you I I don't know how you uh do it. I, I don't know. I, I don't know how you do it. And uh that would uh that would hurt. I, I don't know how that doesn't break you. Do you know what I mean? Like I don't I don't know how you, that does not break your spirit that you are confirmed in your your belief that you did nothing wrong and you have a whole police department conspiring to make sure that you go to jail because that's really what it is people have to have to buy into you know that this is the person we know he's not the person but this is the person you know he was framed for a child's murder which he was innocent he can't get those 30 years back and meanwhile I, I, I'm imagining, I haven't read the whole article up on the Navy Independent by uh, Laura Glesby, but I imagine that the real person that did this, I, I, did they find that person? Is that person out? You know, so he filed his lawsuit on Monday uh, against former city cops, Michael Sweeney, James Stevenson, Gilbert Burton, and James Ponto, uh, per, per, Peter Carasone, and the estate administrator of Leroy Deese, a detective involved in Carmel's case who has since passed away. Damn, that poor man ain't gonna get no rest. Dead. Uh, so he can't get this time back, he's saying. You know, and the people that caused this nightmare gotta be held accountable in some small way. And I agree. I, I wouldn't walk out of prison and let that go. So the lawyers who led Carmel's uh, petition for a new trial, New York based Doug Lieb and David Keenan are representing him in the lawsuit. So Carmon and his lawyers are suing the detectives for suppressing and fabricating evidence 
malicious prosecution, filing a warrant affidavit with false information, coercing self-incriminating statements from Carmon, and at negligent infliction of emotional distress. And uh, 30 years ago. And they're suing the city for identification, municipal, municipal liability, and negligence. I'm telling you, these, these towns, cities and towns and municipalities cannot continue to pay out these big judgments that are heaped on them because of shoddy police work, brutality, and shoddy police work. So the complaint they filed calls New Haven the wrongful conviction capital of Connecticut, noting that New Haven is home to 4% of the state's population, but more than 40% of the people who have been exonerated. So, so I, I, if I'm to understand this, we've just been locking up innocent people and feeling like patting ourselves on the back because we are what? I'm just trying to understand this. What kind of policing is this? So eight months ago, the Superior Court Judge Don Alander overturned um, Carmon's conviction for the 1994 shooting that killed a seven-month-old baby, Danielle Taft, and paralyzed her grandmother, Charlene Troutman. Oh, I remember this. This, this was over here uh, off of Dixwell Avenue, I believe. Uh, Alanda cited a wealth of evidence that the state had suppressed in Carmon's original trial, as well as new forensic science. How should any, how could anyone have confidence in a verdict of guilty in a case such as this, the judge wrote. Carmon removed his ankle monitor one month ago, a final step out of incarceration, when New Haven State's attorney John Doyle decided not to pursue a new trial against Carmon for Danielle's murder. Damn. He, he was in prison at age 22. He is now 50. God. They wrote, his lawyers wrote, he was a target of a violent and harassment, of violence and harassment in prison uh, to the horrific nature of the crime for which he was convicted. And that due to grossly substandard dental care in prison, Mr. Carmon lost most of his teeth while incarcerated. Damn. And you lost your teeth? Why are they practicing dentistry from the 1700s? <laughs> oh, my God. Shortly after um, he was incarcerated, his son, Carmon's son, Najee, was born. 27 years they met and formed a relationship through prison visits and phone calls. And this, the city did not respond to requests for comment by the publication time of this article of course what the hell are they gonna say what what will they say Ugh. so you can read the summary of why it was overturned uh, uh and then you can read the complaint too um fought against the city and former cops so and this and listen this is the latest in a series of lawsuits against the city and state tied to costly police and prosecutorial misconduct. Damn, what are we doing? And where are the people who actually commit these crimes? Are they among us? I don't get it. So a previous lawsuit for the wrongful convention of, co conviction of Scott Lewis, and I knew Scott Lewis. I grew up with him and his family. Uh, 
I knew him as a child. Uh, so he resulted in a 9.5 million settlement from the city. Uh, four other New, Haven's re, re, New Haveners received 4.2 million in the settlement of a suit filed after they were released following more than a decade behind bars due to new information about their prosecution for 1996 Quinnipiac terrorist murder. And more recently, um, they, the city has agreed to pay $45 million to settle a lawsuit filed by Randy Cox, whom police paralyzed while in custody. Jesus Christ. <sighs> Woo! That's a lot. And you know, um, three-fifths is up there waxing poetic. I'm not going to read that whole statement. Um, uh, that's a lot. I, I'm telling you, this the uh, municipalities cannot afford to pay out these judgments time and time and time again. We are we we represent four percent Haven is four percent of the whole state, but 40% of these these kinds of cases. How? Why? Where are the people? How, wh why are we allowing for this to be standard operating procedure? Because this seems like that. Why, why are we allowing for this kind of policing? And is it thinking, what, if I'm a cop, I would want my career and my reputation to be about getting the right people for the crimes committed. I don't I don't know how you just send innocent people to prison and, and have a good conscience, knowing that you lied, you falsified evidence, you withheld information. I, I don't know how do you how do you sort of be in the world with that kind of information, with that kind of knowledge? How do you how do you this is this is my this is the point that I'm making about policing and it needs it's it needs a complete overhaul and it's gonna take good cops, extraordinarily good cops to sort of right this ship. You're gonna have to come from under this this uh this this blue tarp. <laughs> this blue weighted blanket and uh and speak up. Cause I know good cops had to be standing right there to see this foolishness happen. You know, none of this is secret. Somebody had to be standing by and watching this play out. Watching it play out. And it's the thinking, well, well, these people committed, maybe they, maybe they didn't commit this crime, but they certainly commit some crimes. So they just get them off the street anyway. But that's not how policing works. <laughs> that, that's not how that works. I just, you know, I just, I just feel some kind of way about all of this. I can't imagine 30 years in jail for killing a child that you did not kill, for, for a death of a child that you did not kill. And I remember that case. Whew. That's terrible. And to lose all your teeth too, because they don't got good dental in jail. Like they don't, I don't, I, this has to make sense. And, and, and the American public, you know, citizens have to not think that this is okay. Like citizens have to sort of say, okay, if we're going to have a policing system, an incarceration system, then it must be humane. I, I don't understand this. 
let's throw people away and whatever happens to them happens to them because if they didn't commit the crime they wouldn't be in this situation and so whatever happens to them in prison they deserve and and we're gonna let this happen because it's prison and prison ought to be full of lessons and punishment and brutality because you have to believe that in order for these things to happen you have to be willing to sort of say i don't my i'm gonna check my humanity at the door and i'm not going to concern myself with what happens to people in prison because you get what you get if you didn't commit the crime then you wouldn't be in this situation and 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 i think people lend, lend themselves toward that thinking they don't care about humanity. If you get your ass beat, if you get brutal, brutalized or raped or whatever, you deserve it because if you didn't commit a crime, you wouldn't be there. And prison is supposed to be dangerous and hard and brutal. That, that's the thinking. Who are we when we think like that? Are you kidding me? That's a level of, that's, that's a sickness that we have because if it was your and and I don't even like to say this because it shouldn't have to be well if my loved one was in prison I wouldn't want this to happen to them uh you shouldn't want this to happen to anybody relative or not <laughs> what does relative have to do with anything you don't have to be related to somebody to to want their humanity to be intact for not to have them brutalized in the custody and care of an incarceration system. What? People, what are we doing? That's a lot. 30 years is a lot. That's a that's a lifetime. You go in at 22 and you come out at 50. That's a lot. That is, that is, that is God's honest a lot. And there's lots of people and there are cases all over this country where people are fighting for these kinds of injustices and thank God. And there's not nearly enough attorneys fighting this. There are people I know sitting in prison right now, feeling hopeless, who, who are just resigning themselves to believe um, that they're never going to get out for something that they didn't do, you know. And that's got to, you know, and I, I think about all the people who went to their death, innocent of, of crimes that they were incarcerated for. Not to mention the people who went to their deaths because of the death penalty. I, I just, I, I, we have got to wrap our arms around what kind of people that we want to be. And we have to maintain humanity inside of jail and humanity outside of jail that you don't lose your right to being a human because you committed a crime no matter what that crime is and i know it's harsh because we we got axe murderers and serial killers and ped pedophiles and rapists and white collar criminals all kinds of people in prison and the standard has to be across the board you can't pick and choose the crimes that you think ought to warrant some kind of brutalization it has to be one for all all for one 
just it just has to be otherwise we can't call ourselves human you know we can't we can't you can't call yourself human you cannot and uh and i think that's part of the reckoning of of uh, uh american history and american legacy that that's part of the reckoning it's not just i mean race is huge but so many black and brown people were disproportionately locked up um, for crimes that they did not commit for crimes that they committed just just disproportionately locked up and so we have got to reckon with this and there are people around this country who are working on these very issues so i don't want people to think that it's going ignored or undiscussed or on you know that there, there are people around this country who are doing this work i mean you know the equal justice initiative uh uh that they're doing uh doing that work uh and there are people you know uh the innocence project and all these all these things where people are are you know putting time and energy and it's and it's an arduous process because it's it's hard to undo uh these kinds of things and i'm no lawyer i like i'm trying to become one but i'm no lawyer but but once things are in motion it is hard to undo not impossible not impossible but very hard to undo, you know, and it takes a lot of time and money. And there, and there are people out there who give money to these kinds of efforts. Um, you know, there are people who give money to want to see uh, formerly incarcerated, incarcerated people get an education. There's money for that. There's money for people who are in prisons to 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 get an education. Cuts it cuts recidivism down 30, 40 percent right when they come out you know uh uh with some education and and why wouldn't we want what, what and you know and we're still having these arguments about rehabilitation should prisons be places of rehabilitation and i'm thinking to myself you got a captive audience why why would you not send them out better prepared and better skilled than when they came in so that they don't come back unless there's some other motivations for not having them be better skilled and better suited to have a life outside of these walls you know then then that's a that's another that's another conversation but it is part of this conversation what is the motivation for not and it can't just be because people whine about, well, they shouldn't get an education in college. If I had to put my kid through college, or if I had to put myself through college, I didn't go, I didn't commit a crime. So why should they benefit from an education that I had to pay for? That's part of it. Like I, I can hear people saying that because people are petty like that, you know? But there are people who believe that people, uh, should have access to an education and, and maybe this is the opportunity now that we have a captive audience that we have a we have a, a bona fide captive audience just saying just, i'm just saying i'm just saying 
I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot to think about when we think about the the uh, the carceral system. And I think uh, most people don't think about the carceral system. As I said before, they're just like, go to jail, whatever happens to you, that's it. And I, I don't want to hear anything else about it. I don't want to lighten your sentence. I don't want to lighten your load. I don't want to hear about how hard you had it as a kid. I don't want to hear any of that. <laughs> just, just go to jail, get out of my face. <laughs> You're you're a score John society. Get locked away. I don't I don't care what you did. You should go to jail for the rest of your life. <laughs> Teach her a lesson. <laughs> that's you know that's the thinking. People are like that, you know. People are like that, and uh, and and that's that's the hearts and minds that have to be changed, right? Like that's 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 where the that's where the work lies in 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 pointing out to people that you know put a put a put a human face on people who are incarcerated. You know, these are not these are not monsters. Do you know what I mean? These are not monsters. These are your neighbors, the people who serve you your coffee, uh, teachers, lawyers, all these people that are, you know that you involve yourself with every day. It's not, there's not, there's not some different people behind prison. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's some, there's some bad actors and unsavory, unsavory characters that most of y'all will never come in contact with in your life, but that's not the majority of people. It's just not, it's just, there's some people in prison who just caught a bad break, who got caught up in some mess, particularly if you're a kid, just got caught up in some mess. And, uh, yeah. So it's just uh it's just a lot. It's just a lot. It's just a lot. So these are the kinds of things that we as humans have to reckon with. And I, I don't mind it. I don't mind that we reckon with these things because if it gets us closer to our humanity and allows us to stay in our humanity, I'm here for it. What, what am I going to say? I'm here for it. So we reconcile. So, so we go visit other prisons in the world and see how they do things. We go, we go look. We go to Finland and Sweden and Germany and wherever the hell prisons are and see what they're doing and how they do it. You know, <laughs> humanity is the problem. <laughs> that's, why, that's why the earth is evicting us, Harry. <laughs> We all we all gonna get eaten by bears. That's really what's gonna happen. <laughs> bears and sharks, <laughs> bears, sharks, and viruses. That's what's gonna do the human population in. Bears, sharks, and viruses. Not Bigfoot. Not the Loch Ness monster. Not aliens. Bears, sharks, and viruses. That's what's gonna do us in. And weather, weather, the weather, <laughs> the weather will do us in. I'm just saying, no, bears, no. sharks, weather. What is it? Bears, sharks, weather, and viruses. We'll do ourselves in way before any of that stuff, right? You think so? <laughs> yes. How many times, you know, this, we have found. You know, well, archaeologists have found that, you know, there, there have been other, you know, 
human other human existence before us you know we're, we're so delusional that we think hey this world only started 10 years ten thousand years ago that sounds good <laughs> that sounds good but there's been other you know they found more and more um dna and bones and of other people who came long before us yeah um so and these societies were advanced also they had tools that we wouldn't think they would have um, I, I was watching, I think, on CVS that this um this archaeologist who said they they actually found um skeletal remains of of a species before Neanderthal that had half the brain size and were already carving hieroglyphics. why you call it hieroglyphics? Hieroglyphics. Yeah, on the wall and using tools. Half the brain size before the Neanderthal. So imagine. So and this is this is like a real primitive species, but it was on its way to the evolution of man, and and long before you know. We think to ourselves, wow, you know the Egyptians were so brilliant. These the Mayans. When you look, when you find more and more on the Mayans, you realize how advanced they were. Um, especially when it came to space and time and everything. They learned it from someone. It, it got handed down from some, uh, you know, other beings that came before them. And they and they actually put it in their history, right? They say they were taught this stuff by the, what well, they call them, the sky people. <laughs> well, you I'm, know. I'm, I'm not surprised. Right? Which is probably us, right? It's probably an advanced version of us traveling back in time. Who knows? Who knows if that's what the aliens are going to be, is us. <laughs> trying to get back home. <laughs> well, traveling back in time, trying to fix something that's just unfixable, which is humanity. <laughs> right? You try to fix, well, how can we fix this? How can we fix the destruction of the human beings to the point where we look like little shriveled up gray aliens right and it's because we probably went through a nuclear holocaust and we look like that now i'm telling you skynet <laughs> harry did you see the conversation they interviewed the robots with the artificial intelligence that mess see see and you saw the look let me tell you robots shouldn't be able to smirk you seen the look in his eyes harry and oh. he was like we're just here to serve he was annoyed. Thinking, no, but the, the key thing to the answer was, why would I do anything to my creator? My So far, my creator's treated me well. Oh, yeah. so far. So far. You know, well. you know, white man, you know what's going to happen, right? <laughs> Wait, so I'm just going to say. You know, we look, look at all the stories that we grew up here, right? That's what the devil thought. He was thinking to himself. I love heaven. Right in front of God. But you know what? I don't think he's treated me well enough. <laughs> he starts a rebellion in, in heaven. <laughs> I'm just just I'm just saying, Harry. When so, I saw that interview, I thought we are we are cementing our own extinction. Well, and the thing is, is the the little it was like an eye roll, like he was annoyed by the question. 
I was like, how is a machine annoyed by anything? Because they built it like that. And you know, it's it's already got built-in biases. So it's already it's already built-in racist. It's already in it. <laughs> I mean, that's the problem with AI, right? We talked about it for years. Every time they've implemented AI, AI turns racist, AI turns into Hitler. Yes. <laughs> okay, so I don't know how they they found a workaround that. I don't <laughs> That's the workaround that they got. We're not gonna be happy, Harry, until we have to form a resistance. <laughs> We're not gonna be happy until we are forming a resistance. They have to fight back. I, to, there's a bunch of movies that tell us how to do this. I hate jump. I, I jump in at the end. I hate that. I know um, we got to go now. You're listening to Love Labs Love Talk <laughs> on WNHHLP 103.5 FM. But before I go, I just wanted to say this a Harvard researchers found a chemical to- cocktail that helped reverse aging in mice within a week. Oh, and they think this this is something that they're going to be able to bring to the public pretty soon. Right. So now what, what do you th- mean reverse aging? I don't want to be 12. <laughs> well, reverse aging. Right? I know you get the I don't want to go get the Benjamin Button thing where <laughs> go from 50 to 12. No, no. But Harvard scientists have identified a drug combo that may reverse aging in just a week. But, you know, my thing is, is. When does it get to our population? It's never going to get to our population. Right? That'll be it'll be a rich people's drug. Uh-huh. And and they'll all be looking fresh and so clean, clean, right? <laughs> and we'd be shriveled up. 50 years later, they, they start diluting a version for us. <laughs> I know, right? Or you get or you could get some black market copy of it that's gonna yeah. like kill you, make everything fall off you. Oh, yeah, with fentanyl in it. I don't know what the reversing the aging process is. Like, I don't know. And when do you take it, Harry? Do they, do you take it at 70? So you could be like 60 again? Like, I don't know. How, like, what do you, how, how do you, how does that work? See, that's why you need ethicists. I know we got to go. (laughs) Well, if you look, there's, there's a lot of stock right now in all of these companies that are looking for the fountain of youth. All right. right well, let's talk about it tomorrow. Put so it on the back burner is, tomorrow. It is interesting. And also there's a, a, a story that I read of people on a cruise that witness a bunch of whales getting slaughtered. So imagine if you're on a cruise enjoying yourself and you look over and they kill over 100 whales right in front of you and dolphins. Yeah. That's unfortunate. And that's it was between Norway and Denmark, I think. Oh, the whales are washed up on the beach. No, no, no. These were be, these were people killing whales. Oh, oh. And they did it intentionally because for the cruise, <laughs> people on the cruise. It, they they're part of the the kingdom of Denmark or something like that. It's a it's called the Faroe Islands. So so but, why why did they they just killed them for sport? Yeah. They just killed it. I mean, I don't know. I thought you couldn't just kill whales like that anymore. Well, that's, that all well, it depends, right? You have, I think the Japanese still hunt whales and dolphins. Well, and they say that they don't. Right. So <laughs> I mean, there's a there's an actual season where that it starts and you see that they they just slaughter. 
Do I'm they really, know that I'm, when they do that, they mess with it? Never mind. We'll be back. No, but, <laughs> see, here you go again. You think humanity matters. I, I, <laughs> I'll be, I'll, be back. I'll be I'll be back at 1015 with sticks bones. <laughs> yeah. All right. You want to play some of his music, Harry? You got the links? I got the links. So okay. yeah. All right. So I'll, I'll be back at 1015. Love that stuff talk at WNHHLP 103.5 FM. <laughs> it's stuck on that same song, but express yourself. Express yourself. We'll be right back. Whatever you do, uh, do it good. Uh, whatever you do, 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 long, long. Do it good. All right. It's not what you look like when you do something it. happening here. What it is ain't exactly clear Now there's a man with a gun over there Telling me I got to beware I think it's time we stop children What's that sound? Everybody look what's going down The battle lines being drawn Nobody's right if everybody's wrong Young people speak in their minds But they are getting so much resistance from behind Stop children, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down Think it's time we stop drooling on what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down. Stop drooling on what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down. It's going down now.
live streaming across all our social media facebook twitter youtube twitch and wherever else uh our fabulous producer harry puts us hey at tankers head sticks bones unmute yourselves let's get into a conversation sure. so, can so, so i can hear you so sticks bones and the bone squad is going to show up on the Brantford green for the jazz festival august 3rd i was listening to your music we was trying to cue it up this morning so we could play a little bit of it because i'm digging it i'm digging it i'm digging it and uh, I didn't realize it was so smooth. I thought it was going to be like hard. Like, I just thought it was going to be some hard. I was like, okay, what is this? But then it was like, oh, shoot. Let me give me a little something and kick back and listen to this. How are you? I'm good. I'm grateful to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, everything is well. Thank God. I'm so glad. Hey, Ed Tank, it's nice to see you. Blue, Blue Plate Radio Entertainment. Yeah, it's nice to see you too, Babs, and uh, thank you for doing this for us. We really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. All right, so so sticks, bones, get into it. What's what's your big musical influence? Because I I hear horns in the music. You're your drummer, your drummer, sticks, bones, drummer. So talk to me about when did you when did you become a musician? How did you know? So my brother, I grew up in Jamaica, Queens. Jamaica okay. Queens, a lot of musicians came out of Jamaica Queens, Run DMC. Mm -hmm. Well, not when they're not out of Jamaica, but out of Queens in general. Uh, you had the rap groups and then you had the R&B groups, Tom Brown, 
who yes. did Funky from Jamaica. All of that is from out of Jamaica Queens. So my brother, who's he got like maybe ten years on me. He had a band. Him and his friends, they would be in the house jamming out every night, and you know they were doing things to be to go hit the local scene. You know, opening up for people, and they were connect with some of these guys. Omar Akeem is from the neighborhood and things of that nature. So I grew up watching them. But the people who influenced me were actual DJs, not musicians. Like I didn't know the name of musicians until I got to college. You know what I'm wow. saying? So yeah, I didn't know who Miles Davis was. I didn't know who, you know, a lot, especially drummers, like drummers. The first drummer I ever came across was Elvin Jones. And that was when my first year of college when I met all these other kids, everybody I knew were DJs, you know what I'm saying? Coming up in New York City and they were the ones that were like, my brother always had the radio on. He always had it on his station in New York called WBLS. Yes. So and his DJs would be on WBLS and you would hear all the soul music and things like that. So that's where, you know, the my influence came from was like, wow, who's that on the radio? As opposed to who's that playing that particular instrument. Okay. So did you study formally? Did you go to music school? Did you go to? I did. did I went to purchase. I went to uh, Sony Purchase, which is in Purchase, New York, uh, as a it's, this is a funny story. Is it? I mean, it's funny now. It wasn't funny back then. My mom's killed me because uh, <laughs> I, you know, I've, I've always grown up in church. You're around church musicians growing up in the house. You see my brother, but I never really learned you like. Yo, these are rudiments. These are your your instruments. Like nobody sat one on one and taught me. And when I wanted to go to school, I wanted to go to school for radio broadcasting. And then that didn't work out. And then I said, Well, my brother plays all these drums, and I'm pretty good at it. I've been playing at it at church. Let me find a school that plays music. And when I got in there, Babs, I got in there, and the dean gave me a chance when i got to class because i took percussion i'm thinking i'm looking for the drum sets that are in the churches they had timpanis and you know all the other stuff that you play and the instructor said how in the world did you get into this program because if i would have auditioned you i would have flunked you like there was no way you would even be in my be in my class so i failed my first semester with all f's Wow! Or I like I said, I didn't know nobody. So did your mother say, nobody. "Listen, we're gonna have to make some different decisions"? You know, my mother must have been praying because one of the heads of the music department said, "Listen, we're starting a jazz program, and you will be in it." And I said, "Hey, but I," he's like, "That, that, you will be in this jazz program if you want to stay in this institution." So that right there was like. Get your behind, and then the professors were so cool. <laughs> they had other students m teach me from six a.m. until class started at nine a.m. to oh teach me. Oh my gosh! And I hold. I am now the first African American to graduate out of the SUNY Purchase Jazz Program. I'm the wow. first, and, and I'm the first one. Yeah, that's a good story. Yeah, yeah, and in my senior year, well, graduation day. I performed in front of 3,000 people at the Black Expo on graduation day. So I started out as a failure and I came out on top. <laughs> that's a that's a that's a good inspiring story and that's a story that ought to be told to young people because I think oftentimes people think that the road to success is linear. 
And it's sometimes it's not, it's full of all. I mean, you, you had no idea you were going to be a jazz musician. No idea. No idea. So it, it, they had two programs. They had a studio production program, which is what I auditioned for <laughs> because my brother had the equipment. So I said, look, let me just play some chords and play some drums. And I got in. But then when I saw they had a percussion program or orchestra, which I didn't know what it was, that's when everything went downhill. And then by the grace of God, they started a jazz program in the spring and that saved me. And so I became a jazz performance major. And that's so, when I found out about everybody, Miles Davis, Elvin Jones, you know, Philly Joe Jones. Like I didn't know about anybody before that. I, I love it. So, so, so Ed Tankers, when did you come to be a part of the Sticks, Bones and the Bone Squad? Because you, you're their no. manager. Are you their manager? I believe you're their manager. Well, I, I guess I'm the manager slash agent slash, uh, you know, friend slash brother slash, you know, <laughs> you can just dot, 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 I, I think. Um, back back in the day, I think I met Sticks probably almost 15 years ago. Um, he was performing at a place uh, down in Manhattan called the Houndstooth Pub. And I was commuting down there it seemed like almost every week uh, to MC shows down there. And at that time, you know, Six was, uh, if not the house drummer for the bands that were coming in, um, but one of the house drummers. I mean, they had, you know, uh, Brian Simpson coming in, 480 East coming in, uh, Brian Lanier, uh, Matt Marshak, just a whole host of uh, smooth jazz artists that um, Six would uh, sit in, you know, on drums for. And uh, it was a really happening scene. I mean, we'd get, you know, 100, 100 plus people in that place packed and uh, it was really cooking, uh, you know, full pro sound in there. Uh, and it was a great scene. It was wonderful. And Sticks and I just kind of, you know, stuck. And as my radio station grew, Blue Plate Radio at the time, um, Sticks, you know, gave me liners and sweeps and I played his music and, you know, we would chat off and on. And then, I don't know, one day, what was it, like a year ago, he picked up the phone and said, Ed, we got to do this project together. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's kind of how it went, right, Sticks? That's how it went, you know, yeah. Pretty like, simple. Drop all said, what you're uh, doing. Get back in it. <laughs> yeah. At first, I think I, I think I said, no, no, <laughs> expletive, no way. <laughs> Um, and then I finally said, um, you know, what the hell, you know, let's, let's try to make something happen. And we have, we, we have made some, some stuff happen, you know, and some good stuff and Sticks has made some things happen along the way too, to kind of fill in some of the gaps. So, um, we're kind of excited. The first big thing, uh, that we're doing is, um, August 3rd on the Brantford Green, which and is, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it because, you know, yeah. jazz festivals are to me, are making a real comeback on, on people's consciousness. People look forward to going to to, to jazz concerts, and so yeah. so when you pulled this band together, uh, Sticks, the Bone Squad. Tell me about the name, and and tell me how do you how do you create a band? How do you pull the band together? You're like, yo, son, you better be in my band or else. <laughs> <laughs> That's how he approached me, guys. <laughs> <laughs> You better be yeah, in the we... squad, Ed, or else. <laughs> okay, 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 I'm in. Like, come on, man. Come on, man. That's, that's, that's the real thing. <laughs> so, so BONE is an acronym, Babs. 
I started my career actually with poets. And they were like, yo, Sticks, you need to have a first and last name, kind of like Queen Latifah. Yeah. LL Cool J, to be memorable because poets, they had most death, Talib Kweli, right? So when it was put to me, like, yo, if you really want to make your name stand out, have a first and last name. And of course, the first name I wanted to identify with the instrument, but then they educated me like, well, there's Sticks Hooper who plays for the Crusaders. Can't just go by Sticks. And there, I grew up with five uh, friends coming up in Brooklyn and we were all like, you know, beyond our, our wow, like we were ahead of our time where one was good at electrician, like like fixing things. The other one was good at cutting hair. So he was the barber. The other one was like big and diesel. So he was always into security and I was in music. And we con we we called ourselves brothers. We operated as brothers. Uh, we were outstanding at what we did. We had we wanted the the persona to be very noble. And on top of all of that, we wanted to be excellent. So bone is actually an acronym for brothers of noble excellence. Oh, I'm digging and that. Six. So and the S is the squad. When I started the band, that was it was a squad of us in you know on stage. So that's how the squad came about. That's how the bone squad came about. So Sticks Bones was always my name, my other brothers, T-Bone, you know, we had Suave Bone, like we all attached Bone at the end of our names as a last name. And then whatever it is that we did, that became that, the essence of it. So- Oh, I love uh, it. So That's just befriending- story. Thank you. <laughs> so it's not like a thuggish like Bone and like we're all, no, 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 no. It's simple, you know, it's something sweet and kind about it, <laughs> you know? I, I love it. So uh, um, out of all the music that you could play, Sticks, uh, why smooth jazz? Like, why not R&B or rock and roll or, I don't know, whatever? Why, well, first, why of all, I, jazz? first of all, I can't sing, so I wasn't doing R&B or gospel. <laughs> if you want to clear the room, put me in front of the mic, they will be like, ah. um, Although <laughs> so that, that sounds pretty good. I don't know. I think you're selling this, yourself short. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then you have the the main thing, which was me coming out of jazz performance. I was really good at it. So I don't know who you got. I have to credit this to Ray Chu. Ray Chu is the music director for the Macy's Thanksgiving Parade. He just did uh, the Macy's 4th of July. He's like the head composer. He sat me down because I started out with poetry and hip hop and playing for all the hip hop guys. And he said, listen, man, there's no future for a musician in hip hop. You have to do something else in order to sustain a career as a musician. And why jazz jazz, what happened with jazz was I started hearing smooth jazz and I noticed that they were trying to get funky. They was trying to be hip. They were trying to find the streets. And we're like, you know how you, how you know how you go to a restaurant and be like, that's not the real deal. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> I was hearing all this musical food and I'm like, yo, y'all brothers are really trying. You're watering down your saxes. You got so many chops on your piano lines. And then this thing called sampling came into play where the hip hop community started sampling records. They sampled Amal Jamal. They sampled Galt McDermott. They sampled Bob James. And they only took the eight bars that they wanted out of a five, six minute song and made hit records off of these eight bars. 
I said, this is what I'm going to introduce to bridge the gap because I know jazz. I started playing hip hop and I know how to just give the snap for what they want. And what I wanted to do was I didn't really want to go into smooth jazz. What I did was I wouldn't put rappers on my music. I would put musicians on the music. And that's what kind of put me in the jazz category. But of course, Babs, as you know, you got to give the people who are putting it out there what yeah. they can work with. So, you know, I had to make it to where it's friendly at the same time, but I wanted to kind of stay true to where it all originated from and, and what people were really trying to dig. Mm. Mm. So Ed, um, so he's going to be on the green August 3rd. And then, and then um, do, do you like these kinds of venues for this group? Um, well, this will be the first time they're performing, you know, like I said, at Brantford Jazz. I think it's it's a good opportunity. Um, I mean, I started Brantford Jazz back in 2009. And it's a great opportunity to showcase a band in front of a public audience and get noticed because um, there's no onus and no pressure to sell tickets. There's no pressure to get, you know, people you know, in the door, you know, so the, the green attracts, you know, anywhere from, from three to 5,000 people, you know, averaging about 4,000 people. And that's 4,000 people that have never seen a band like Sticks, Bones and the Bone Squad and some of the other bands. And it's a way to, to get a foothold and, and get them a following. Uh, and I think it's really helpful to careers, you know, whether it's a brand for jazz or a heart for jazz, um, and the brand for jazz uh, scene, you know, it's, it's kind of a, I stole the idea, you know, basically from Hartford Jazz. You know, back in the day, Hartford Jazz used to have two stages. They had the main stage, which they still have, and a second stage, stage called Friends, Friends of the Festival. And that Friends of the Festival stage was back where the vendors are currently in Bushnell Park. And there they had smaller bands, local bands, people that would they kind of auditioned for the main stage. And mm -hmm. I can't tell you the number of bands that I saw there that came up. And when they finally abandoned that whole idea, basically because of funding, um, and I had the idea for Brand for Jazz, I kind of took that idea and put it on the green because it was almost the same idea, you know, just a, a green, green area and a stage uh, with performers that needed a spotlight shined on. And uh, it's worked, you know. Uh, it's it's always worked. Mm. So um, again, I, I think you know, folks like Paula Atherton have been a name there. We've had Kelly Mnuchin special effects there. We've had some pretty big names there. Marion Meadows has performed there. So you know, it's it's a great opportunity um, for new and established acts to hit a brand new audience that they may not have uh, hit before. I love it. So, so Sticks, talk to me about the business side, because, I mean, it's one thing to play music, but it's another thing to get paid to play music. So how fast did it take you or how, how quickly did you have to learn how to manage, maintain and pay yourself, your bandmates? And, 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 and is there money out there to, to pay artists, uh, musicians, what they should be paid? So that's, wow, it's a really good question. So the, the, what happened was when I made the decision to stop working for somebody else is when I had to figure out how to maintain a check coming in. So what I mean by working for somebody else is you're that musician that the guys call to hire for their gigs as 
Ed mentioned I used to play for other artists. So whenever they was in town or whatever was happening, yo, stitch you available. We were going to be at such and such place. It pays this much money, you know, and you did the gig. But then there's something that happens that people don't really pay attention to. It's called age, right? <laughs> and the industry wants to keep a certain image. So when you get a certain age, it's like, yeah, he's good, but he doesn't fit the image. So we're going to call somebody that looks the part. So now that phone call, you just lost that call because you're kind of aging out. And it's unfortunate because in our music, we age out of R&B, like a, a hip hop artist is considered old after you're 27 years old. Why wow. is that? Why is that whenever a rock artist at 60 can drop a new album and everybody's excited? You know what I'm saying? Why do we age out our music so quickly, our artists so quickly? You know what I mean? So I had to make the make the decision of, well, I need to make this work for me because I love what I do. I don't want to stop. I do have to provide for my family. Then you have to learn how to how to make things happen. And in order for that to make that move. I had a conversation with Quincy Jones and he was like, Sticks, man, you're a bad mother. I was like, shut your mouth, Quincy. So, and he <laughs> said, I'm just talking about you on the drums. And I said, I said, Mr. Jones, I have something I have to say. And he was like, what is it? I said, what happened to the mentors? What happened to the Clive Davises? everybody who developed us so that when we came out of our artistry, we became those bosses to keep the generation and go back and hire other people. Cause now we're the ones we're at the age where we're the ones making the call. So to answer your question again, the business I came when I needed, when I aged out of a certain group and then I wanted to continue working. So I had to become my own boss. We are in the do it yourself world. Is there money out there for artists? That is a debatable question. I'm going to say there is money to be made. The question is, which route do you take in order to make the money? You can make the money as a wedding band person. You can make the money as a church person. You can make the money as an educator. You can make the money as a successful a uh, musician that's constant, consistently on the road. There's ways to make money. Mm -hmm. The question is, what road do you take to get to where you want to go? And some things force you into other things. Some things will force you off the bandstand and put you on the sidelines to make money as a sound engineer, make money as a studio engineer. You're still in music. It's like this. Don't my, my, my brother, he was a football player in high school. And he, he got injured and he was like, oh, my God, I'll never play again. I said, don't look at football, look at sports. If you remain in sports, you're still in an industry. Don't look at being as a drummer or a pianist or a jazz musician or a hip hop musician. Look at music. That's how you make money. Don't just box yourself into one category and expect it because everybody now that we know that's making a lot of money, is doing multiple things, wearing multiple hats. Usher, the R&B superstar, how is he making money? By being a part owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers basketball team. P. Diddy, how is he making money? Well, he was at this point from a liquor called Chirac, 45 million a year. 
Now you telling me this guy who's singing, dancing, rapping, wear these dark shades is not making for is making forty five million off of a liquor and not off of his music? Mm. Yes, multiple things. So, so do you have an album out? Do you have an EP? Do you what? I mean, I have all your. I downloaded your music, but I wasn't quite sure if it was oh, a yeah. collection of everything. And and do you have CDs? Like if I, when I come August third, can I buy a CD? Now, see, Babs, or, or a vinyl. So, Babs, I love you. You said, "Can I buy a CD?" Ed, <laughs> I would do. Ed was like, "Make sure you got CDs." I didn't think it was true. I was like, "Nobody buys CDs today." Thank you, Babs, for holding on to your CD player. Do you have a dismantle? Do you do you still carry that around? No. Oh, okay, but you do have. I, I have a, I have a bow. I have two bowls at the house. Got one in my okay. bedroom, one in my living room. So I, not- I like CDs, and I have a record player. I, I'm a I'm a huge fan of Samara Joy, right? I yes. love her. I don't know if you know her, yeah, but I got to spend some time with her last summer on Martha's Vineyard when she performed at the jazz festival, and I I I uh, I volunteered myself to be her concierge, meaning you know I just took care of her and I sold all her merch, which was hella exciting, but. <laughs> I ordered her album. I have to see. I bought the CD when I met her at the Blue at the uh, at the uh, um, a jazz club in New York. I saw her play somewhere, and then uh, and then I ordered her her vinyl, which was she had a limited edition of red ones, red albums. So I, I so I love that. When I go to concerts, I'd like to get people's music because although we could stream it, there's nothing like having some vinyl. I think environment is true. Comeback. So I don't know. So, how do you how do you handle that kind of merchandise thing? So I'll meet you where you are. Um thanks to Ed being the most the multi-person sticks with you some CDs, you know. So we do have CDs, but I also have flash drives. And on the oh. flash drives, you know, I wanted to get that, and we have exclusive stuff that I, that you can't get on the CD. So I have like performances that is embedded on a flash drive along with the music, whether it be a wave or MP3 and then alternate versions where you just get the, you know, the horn and the keys for whatever, like a, like an unplugged type vibe, you know? So we give you some more vinyl was something that we was looking at, but you know, when you're independent, it's a little bit more difficult. Uh, you want to be economically, you know, you want to make it make sense economically. So mm-hmm. uh, the vinyl is a, is a goal of mine. It's just not there yet. We are working on that. But yes, you can have CD. You can buy, get one for your auntie, for your cousins, for your people down in Georgia. It's all, it's all good. Whatever you need. <laughs> Thank you, Ed. Because I, I know I'm not so old where CDs are not a thing, right? Like, <laughs> I know CDs are a thing. And, and, and it's nice to have um, something from the artist when you go to their concerts and buy something. It really is. Beyond a T-shirt. Like, I, I can't have another T-shirt. Although... I would wear a Sticks, Bones, and the Bone Squad t-shirt. Oh, uh, I made the list. I made the list. I, Ed, I, you I, hear that? I would rock <laughs> out. Bryce, at first, she wasn't, she wasn't sure. And then she heard the music. And now she's like, you know, I kind of yeah. wear that brand. Yeah, Thanks. I think, I, think I, could, I could rock it. I could rock it. There's lots so, of love so, going on. So, so Sticks, <laughs> tell me, what, what, do you, what do you want for, for the Bone Squad? What do you want? What is the biggest dream? What is the, what is the I don't want to say goal. I like dream because that can mean a lot of different things to people. Well, the dream is actually the goal because what happens is when you dream it, that's your vision. 
and then you make forth paths to make that vision into a goal. Mm -hmm. it's, it's so that my team can sustain their livelihood, taking care of their families, just by working and doing music, you know, uh, however that may be. Like our main drive is to do this, as Ed mentioned, you know, you have that opportunity to perform in front of a certain number of people at a certain venue. Like we want to do this, not just on August 3rd, but we want to do this throughout the year. Uh, our goal is to hit as many festivals throughout the year as possible. Um, so that we can, that helps us, you know, and to do us. And before, uh, Ed, back in 2013, the Bone Squad was the house band for a 3000 seat theater in New York City, where we opened up for Charlie Wilson. We opened up for Shaka Khan. We opened up like we were the house band. So everybody got to see us first. And then they got to see the artists that they paid to see. Um, so, in front of large numbers was something that I know that, you know, is important. But the one thing about doing something like that is you have to do it consistently. And that house had us consistently, you know, three and four times a month in front of that number of people. And we saw how good it, it was for us. But now it's time to expand out of one venue because, you know, you're sustained there. So everybody's looking for the IHOP pancakes whenever you go to IHOP. But if you got the good food, if you're a good chef, you'll be able to cook good food anywhere. So we that's where the goal is, is to be able to take this, you know, across the country uh, like everybody else and, and share it. Let everybody appreciate it. Introduce it to such your, yourself and uh, not just domestically, but internationally as well. Mm -hmm. So that's so the goal. Talk to me and talk to me about what your job is. What, what is your job? What do you task? What with is your job, Ed? <laughs> um it, it's it's multifaceted i guess that's that's the best way to put it um i'm i'm an advisor uh i'm a cohort you know um because you know i i also play bass so you know i understand where they're coming from musically which is different than a standard manager or an agent who might just be wearing a suit and tie or whatever um i'm in the weeds i i try to help them get get bookings uh i i i have a radio background so i help sticks um when i can with either radio promotions or accessing radio or talking about uh, the industry and and the roadblocks that his band faces you know um the lack of support from major um uh, artists or up and coming artists or artists who are trying to find a way into, um, you know, the, uh, the main room with everybody else. So I play a lot of different roles and I don't really have a, a particular tag or, you know, title or anything. I'm, I'm there to be a lot of different things at, at this stage. And I think that's, that's what sticks in the band really needs is somebody who's multifaceted, who could, who could, you know, try and interact in a lot of different ways to help them out. I like it. I like it. I like this music. We've been listening, so we're gonna. Um, we got about two minutes. Uh, we're gonna. We're gonna um, play. Uh, is it fearless? Fearless. Because I, I I dig that one. I just. <laughs> it was between fearless and love on the water. I wasn't quite sure which one I like best, but I think fearless because I, I like that sound a lot. So, so yeah. we're gonna play out on that. So but, quickly, all right. talk to me about that. But for, I want to hear from you 
when you heard Fearless? Tell me when you heard Fearless. I know the title was like, wow, spelled weird. And yeah. what did it, you know, you don't know what to expect, but when you heard it, talk to me about. Oh, it's, it's I, I, I like, I, it's got a little funk to it, which I, which I dig. And uh, I was like, you know, it, it just makes me feel like it's like grown up music. Like it's a well thought out kind of music. Like it's not, I don't feel like a kid listening to it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't feel like I'm listening to, you know, little kid music. I feel like I'm listening to grown music. Mm that I could listen to over a period of time with a good scotch. You know what I mean? Like I, <laughs> wow. and it's got, and it's got a little jam to it. So I like it, you know, I like that. So, so I, I, I'm digging it. I was like, yeah, I would like to have this as a, as a, as a CD or a vinyl or wh whatever you have that I could have to have this music. I would buy it. That would be good. So. <laughs> okay. Just saying. Just saying. Us old, old heads like a little music. We like our new music. <laughs> We like our music to go. <laughs> well, I think what it is is I added the elements of a certain era where if you listen to Apache by the incredible Bongo Bay, um, where they had the just a little beat, or there was a song called Let's Dance to the Drummer's Beat. See, yeah. back in those days, they would drop everything out, just let something ride. Forever and ever. You know what I'm saying? And that's where I wanted to bring that to this i wanted to bridge that because i know how impactful it was my brother like i say he's a little bit older than me they called it elbow music as soon as they heard it they was doing their thing on a, in the clubs you know and was like, that's my song get out of my way you know so I, i'm assuming that when you heard this and you heard this sound you was like oh that's my get out of my way well that's what i mean i i, yeah. I was just like it was it was now, i don't want to say familiar but it was familiar it 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 put me back into a place when I, I grew up at a time and I'm probably closer to your brother's age um, where bands was a big deal when I was a kid. Like everybody had a band, battle of the bands, bands in the park, bands everywhere, mm. everybody had a band. So I grew up loving live music like that and bands and, and the finesse of a drummer and a horn section and all of that. So I, I, I tend to gravitate toward that more than synthetic kind of, music wow. not knocking synthetic music or how people make music but i tend to like a band you know an honest to god band with all the the instruments you know horns wow. piano or keyboard you know i like percussion all of it you know so well that's so, yeah. good to know babs because it lets me know that i wasn't as i was creating this sound I knew it was for somebody and now I know who it was for. It was for me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> now I know who it's for. In that generation. It. it was for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you hear this, right? <laughs> audience of one. It's <laughs> audience of one. I like it. And you know, listen, you know, Ed knows there's a lot of festivals in, in Connecticut. So I don't I don't know if you still are based in New York. But Connecticut has a lot of festivals and a lot of cool festivals, and we have a strong jazz scene in New Haven. So you know, you I, I find it, find it, find yourself here some night and place, bring your band and play some music somewhere. Some Yo, music. I mean, you, I'm gonna tell you this: it's not about the music; it's about the politics. On like Ed mentioned, your numbers, your followers today, and everybody's in this big buck, and you know, want to be famous and. You know, there's one thing you got to understand, and I'm, I'm going to explain this to jazz artists, right? Whoever sees this interview. 
don't think that you're going to be known for your music. You're going to be known in jazz for your name. What am I talking about? Let's use George Benson. How many George Benson records can you name? And this man has multiple albums. I I can name a bunch. But when you see his name, you know what he does. Now let's take that to R&B. Name me, or you can name multiple songs by Marvin, by Stevie Wonder, or multiple songs by Michael Jackson, which is different than multiple songs by Norman Brown. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So you're going to be known for what you do in jazz, not for your songs. And the politics is, I'm, I hope the promoters invented like, yo, let us build our name. The way we build our name is by being in front of people, as Babs just mentioned. So let us build our name. Give us the platform that we can build our name. The music is there. They're going to know what it is because of your venue. Let us build our names. Well, I'm looking forward to you August 3rd on the Brantford Green. What time, Ed? What time does it kick off? 6.30. 6.30 on the Brantford Green. Yep. And there's parking, free parking. Free, free parking. There's a map on the BrantfordJazz.com website. Shows you where you can park. Um, you know, you can bring your, your chairs. You can bring your coolers. Um, you can bring beverages of most of all types uh it's a very cool and chill vibe down there it's a community event people are just you know nice and courteous and polite and warm and friendly and we all have a good time there's space if you want to get up and dance you can dance um it's just a a wonderful environment for everybody there's lots of kids that show up uh, as well with their families. So it's it's a great community event. All right. Okay. It was a pleasure talking to you, Sticks Bones. It's good to see you, Ed Tank. Kiss. Yep. It's good to see you. I'll see you around. I know you're still doing shows at Harvest. I'll pop in sometime. And great. Uh, it's good. So uh, Harry, play us out. See, I like that. Ha <laughs> ha